Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. That's clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. But for now, we know why you're here. To listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat. Brought to you by lynda.com. Now, on with the show. Okay, we're going to get right to this on this February 22nd, 2015 edition of Celtics Beat. Presented by Peak Brewing Company and lynda.com. If you don't recognize the voice, I'm Larry H. Russell. To say we have a lot to talk about would be an understatement. We'll have Sean Devaney of Sporting News back on the show to recap the wild and crazy trade deadline, not just for the Boston Celtics, but for the entire NBA. Then we'll preview tonight's game in Los Angeles and get to the state of the Lakers with Corey Hansford of LakersNation.com. But let's get some things out of the way first. Friday night in Sacramento, the shorthanded Sacramento Kings rallied back from an early deficit and held off an even more shorthanded Celtics team. In George Carl's debut, knew that was going to be a tricky game for the Celtics. All that went down Thursday. It was like I said, it was George Carl's debut. Who notoriously, he's really been able to instill fires in a team almost immediately as soon as he takes over. Think back to 2006 when the Denver Nuggets went on a huge winning streak as soon as they hired him. And of course, obviously, all the injuries along the Celtics front line. DeMarcus Cousins, boy, he certainly exploited that. Went off 31 points, 15 rebounds, and then some really took advantage of the Celtics there. Obviously, the latest with Jared Sollinger is he's out indefinitely. That's going to hurt the cause, especially for the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. Very fortunate the Celtics held on to Brandon Bass in the trade deadline. He had a nice game in Sacramento in the starting lineup. Looks like Kelly Olenek is returning shortly, which should aid a second unit, which has been utterly non-existent, especially in the you know in the game uh, Friday night against Sacramento. They just had nothing there. Because uh, the Celtics, they're certainly going to need if they're going to finish the season strong, and who knows, maybe even find their way into a postseason berth, get that seventh seed, get that eighth seed. It'd certainly make for a fine season, provided they have a respectable win total and, the, and they, there's continued to be improvement on the team. But they're certainly going to need a big lift here, as uh, we all know. What happened back there on Thursday, right? The big deal. Tayshawn Prince of Detroit for Gigi Tatomi and Jonas Jarepko. 
hey, I'm sorry. You know, like I said, we had to get some things out of the way. Had to mention that first because we're not going to have much time to talk about it because obviously the big coup, Isaiah Thomas, long sought after by the Boston Celtics, long sought after by Danny Ainge. Thursday's deadline for Marcus Thornton in a 2016 first-round draft choice, which was sent via Cleveland to Phoenix. Everybody feels pretty good about this trade, and they should. Uh, you know, the Boston Celtics are a better team now. The Boston Celtics are a better team tomorrow. They're younger. They're more talented. And the Celtics did this without taking back any bad salaries, and they did it without giving much up of anything. Uh, they have uh, 11 first-round draft choices in the next four years, and the first-round draft choice that they sent over to Phoenix is unequivocally the worst first-round pick that they have. It's Cleveland's. And it's actually going to be Cleveland's next year. So, yeah, uh, there's definitely cause to celebrate. You saw a pretty enthusiastic reaction on Twitter from Celtics Nation or other social media outlets. You saw a pretty enthusiastic reaction on talk radio. And I was very happy. And obviously the trade is not a game changer. It's not a move that's going to make the Celtics championship contender. And I'll get you know more on that in a minute here. But what I think much of the excitement about was it was just once again more confirmation, once again more verification of how well the Celtics are run and how good of a general manager Danny Ainge is. And I want to elaborate on that a little later. And I want also you know want to talk about that there was some poo-pooing of the deal, not not that much because everybody said that they did like the trade, but there were some people that said, "Oh, I wish I saw more." You know, I mean, I, come on, guys. I know I got into this with Kyle Draper on Twitter, and we'll actually have Kyle Draper on the show next week alongside Chris Mannix on the March 1st edition of Celtics Beat. But anyways, we all know this was a fantastic deal for the Celtics. And what I told Kyle was it's like browsing through Whole Foods, you know, going into Whole Foods and seeing how expensive their meat is or pretty much anything at Whole Foods is. But then you come across a nice grass-fed lamb chalk, which is on sale for a quarter. And you go, what? Huh? Of course, you know, you, you come in, you snag it, you either you take it home, you put it in the freezer, you cook it up right away or whatnot. But that's pretty much what this deal was and how lopsided this deal was. You saw a very efficient guard, 26 years old, you know, on a very manageable contract, so literally, in my opinion, like getting a lamb chalk or, or, or a steak, about a pound, you know, for a, a quarter. That's how, that's how good of a deal it was. So obviously you buy it. And that's what you do as the Celtics are operating in such a position of strength with, A, all this currency that they have, and B, the patience from the ownership and fans to stay the course, to ex you know execute this plan, and realize that it's all about the end game of fielding the next great Celtic team that can sustain excellence on a year-in and year-out basis. You know, like Banner 18. Banner 17 was not built in a day. Rome was not built in a day. Everybody forgets we did not just wake up one morning on July 31st, 2007 and go, wow, the Celtics have Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen on the same team. Oh, I'm excited. That was a long process. That, that process took four years, four long years where fans and media were actually believing that there was no hope for the Celtics. I mean, you go right back as soon as Ainge took over the team. A few months into it, he traded Antoine Walker at the beginning of the 03-04 season. He got vilified for that. But he ended up spinning a lot of those small assets that he got in those trades. 
He ended up getting three first-round picks out of that Antoine Walker deal. I mean, he got one from Dallas in the original deal. He got Yuri Welsh in the trade, who he spun to Cleveland a little later, got another first-round pick out of that. And then because he got some tradable contracts in, the, in that deal, he was able to facilitate a three-way trade in that infamous Rasheed Wallace to Detroit deal, and he got another first-round draft choice uh, from Detroit out of that. A little later in that season... He traded some veterans, Eric Williams and Tony Batie, who were a big part of some playoff teams for the Celtics. And he, you know, he did it for Ricky Davis, and everybody was all upset. Oh, geez, Ricky Davis, he's a cancer. But Ricky Davis was able to sort of rehabilitate his career in Boston. He ends up spinning Ricky Davis for Wally Zerbiak in a first-round pick. He ends up trading Wally Zerbiak as a piece in the trade for the Ray Allen trade, obviously alongside that lottery pick. And then the first-round draft choice that he got alongside with Wally Zerbiak in the original Ricky Davis deal, he sends to Minnesota for Kevin Garnett as a small asset. I know you're losing me a little bit here. You know, there's, there's a lot to sort of keep up with. But that's pretty much how you do it. He used all those firsts that he traded for to obviously select guys and to package them in further deals. But he got guys like Tony Allen, Delonte West, who was an asset in the Ray Allen trade, obviously Rajon Rondo. And that's how he did it for four years. He incrementally improved the talent base. He always kept the roster flexible enough to whether to where he could pursue other opportunities and you're seeing the same thing here in many of these recent deals that Ainge has made, as well as this Isaiah Thomas trade. And it is not only that, I actually think Thomas makes this team significantly better now and in the future. And that he's a perfect fit, and he addresses some key weaknesses that this team has right now. I'd like to strongly suggest our listeners to go check out Kevin O'Connor's piece up on Celtics Blog, which he miraculously put together minutes after the trade. But he talked about how Thomas is going to make this team infinitely better offensively on the court because he addresses something that has been utterly non-existent for the Celtics, and that's their pick-and-roll offense. And that's a Thomas specialty. You know, he's athletic enough, he's young enough, and he's small enough, quite frankly, where he can get to the basket and get into the teeth of the defense at a much better rate than anybody on the Celtics roster or anyone in their guard rotation. So I'm definitely intrigued to see him on the second unit, particularly with Kelly Olenek when he's back out there, because I think that's going to be a really good match. So I definitely suggest our readers to go check out Kevin O'Connor on Celtics blog and even went into further detail on B-Ball Breakdown, which is a great website for not just Celtics, but for anything NBA, quite frankly. And now there's some talk about what he's going to be like a fit in the locker room. And I want to talk about this with Sean Devaney from Sporting News coming up because there have been you know words that, oh, you know, he said some issues, not just in Phoenix. But in Sacramento, I'm not worried about this because what we've seen in the few days from him is he definitely appreciates this organization. He said it before he became a Celtics. He said it as he's become a Celtics. He already has a great bond with that famed Seattle connection with Avery Bradley. And I think there's always something to that. We definitely saw that in that documentary film Sonic Skate movie with these players with these Seattle roots like Doug Christie, Jamal Crawford, Jason Terry, Nate Robinson, Thomas Bradley. They've all been very close more so in just in all these other areas. And this season, on this Celtics team, that camaraderie and spirit has been great from all that we've heard on the inside. Obviously, going back to Marcus Thornton, who, who was sent out in the trade, he called this the quote-unquote funnest team he's been on. So I highly doubt Thomas is going to hurt that. I highly doubt he's going to be a detriment to that. I personally think he's going to only to add to it. So I'm very excited about the remainder of the season. I'm very excited to see what Isaiah Thomas can bring, and I'm pretty intrigued to see how this season's going to play out for the Boston Celtics. So you got my take. 
If you'd like, feel free to give us yours on Facebook. Log on to Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio and post a comment. On Google+, Celtics Beat on CLNS, add us to your circles. We'll add you back. We can have some open dialogue regarding the trade, the state of the team, whatever. Best comments anywhere on our social media outlets will be chosen in March. And said winner will win two free tickets to see this Boston Celtics take on the Memphis Grizzlies in Jeff Green's return to Boston. So we got my takes. We'd love to have yours. And now it's time to get the take of one of the best NBA guys in the business, Sean Devaney, NBA insider and columnist for the Sporting News Magazine as well as SportingNews.com. Welcome back, Sean, to the show. All right, Sean, I want to leave you off with the Philadelphia 76ers here and the trade of KJ. Actually, I'm just joking. You know I am. You know where we're starting. Huge trade, many teams involved. This is Celtics beat. So out, Marcus Thornton, free agent to be at the end of the season, a 2016 First-round draft choice owed via the Cleveland Cavaliers to Phoenix in Isaiah Thomas. Player long been linked to the Celtics, not just last summer during free agency, but obviously those Rajon Rado trade rumors with Sacramento as well. Just sort of tell us how this all went down, and then uh, give, give the audience your take. Yeah, you know, he's a player, obviously, that, that Danny Ainge has had some interest in uh, for a while. Uh, obviously, his his value has sort of taken a hit over the last couple of years. You know, the Suns really saw him as a uh, as a energy guy off the bench, a six man, a Vinny Johnson type. Uh, you know, who can come in and give you instant offense off the bench. Um, obviously, they had their own issues, and and it didn't quite work out there. Uh, and I think because of that, uh, uh, you know, his value did sort of uh, uh, take a hit, like I say. And you know, the fact that he still has three years on his contract at about $20 million, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a risk for the Celtics. There's no question that, uh, uh, you know, you're not quite sure uh, how he fits in long-term, uh, what his role is going to be. Uh, and, and, you know, look, Sacramento didn't really want to keep him uh, in free agency. Uh, Phoenix was willing to get rid of him. So you, you do have some question marks coming in. Uh, but there's no question what he can do in terms of uh, being a backcourt scorer. Yeah, it's interesting because you seem to feel a little more lukewarm than, say, I feel and a lot of other people felt in the immediate aftermath of that trade yesterday where people were just generally just jumping through the roof. And, I mean, I actually consider myself one of those people. You know, I consider it more so the fact that the trade was just sort of another verification of Danny Ainge and his prowess as a GM rather than, you know, this is a trade that's going to put the Celtics over the top because obviously we know that it's not. But it's funny, I had a, an interesting conversation yesterday with Kyle Draper, and he was just like, oh, I just said, well, I want him more. I want him fireworks. And, you know, I was sort of saying, like, listen, I mean, look what you got the guy for. It's sort of like going into Whole Foods and seeing, you know, a pound of grass-fed steak on the, uh, you know, on the shelf for, you know, 99 cents for a pound. I mean, obviously, you sort of take it. Is that sort of not, you know, the train of thought here? Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you, you know, the Celtics have uh, these assets in terms of draft picks and uh, expiring contracts and things like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, the only way you're going to bring players in at this point, uh, you know, now that Rondo is gone, you don't really have a whole lot to sell to free agents. So you need to start bringing in some actual uh, NBA players. And, and so when you go to free agency, you can say, okay, this is the plan. This is where we're going. Uh, you know, we've got this, this, and this, uh, and we see you fitting in here. So, you know, I think uh, for Danny Ainge, this was a move that he had to make just because 
uh, it did come so cheap. Uh, you know, that, that Cavaliers pick is not going to be much, obviously. And, uh, uh, you know, they weren't going to keep Marcus Thornton anyway. So, you know, this is, this is, uh, uh as you say, it's, it's a real bargain. I don't want to say that, uh, uh, that the Celtics got ripped off or anything. Uh, you know, but I, I, I do think that when you look at Thomas's history, he is one of those players that you have to really find the right role for. And I'm not sure anybody's done it yet. And so, you know, that's, that's going to be a challenge for Pat Stevens. Uh, it's going to be a challenge for Danny Ainge, uh, to make sure that, uh, uh, that, you know, this is a guy who, uh, uh, you know, is going to fit into the system, uh, rather than be a guy who, you know, just jacks up 20 shots a game. Do you think, I mean, obviously we, we had the game last night, the other day against Sacramento, but do you think that, you know, for the rest of the season, he'll be coming off the bench or do you think that he is just more suited to, you know, be a starter because he, it's in his mindset that he is a starter? Well, you know, I, I, that, that's part of the problem is that I think his role in the NBA, on a good NBA team, he's a guy who comes off the bench. The question is, does he see himself that way, uh, and will he be willing to see himself that way? Now, the way the subjects are constructed right now, uh, they could they could afford to certainly have him in the starting five and and arrange things that way. Uh, but you know, long term, I don't think you want him as your starting point guard, and so that's why I think you know, figuring out these next few uh, months and 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 heading into next year. Uh, what your lineup is going to look like is going to be really important because, uh, you know, if, if you give Isaiah Thomas the, pre- the impression that he's a starter, you know, he's going to wonder why he's not starting if you bring in somebody else. Uh, and, and again, his role in the NBA is that of, uh, you know, a high scoring six man instant offense kind of guy, Jamal Crawford, Jason Terry, that, that sort of guy. Uh, but, you know, if he doesn't see himself that way, then you get into some trouble. You, you know, you get into uh, uh, those issues uh, uh, that are sort of uh, uh, off the court. I mean, he's an undersized guy. You know, defense is always going to be a, a, an issue. Uh, so, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a balancing act. There. And again, you know, I, it's a great deal for them, you know, because you give up nothing, you get something. You get, a, you get a useful player, you know, a good player who can really help you uh, long term. But, you know, there's, there's, there's issues that, that go with having a guy like Isaiah Thomas, uh, and that's been the case uh, uh, really, you know, the last four years of his career here. Yeah, I think that's very, it's a very astute point that you made regarding what they do with him the rest of the season, and I think it is very important that they do sort of stay the course and put Thomas in, I think, that a role that we all know is, is what he can best contribute to a winning NBA team. And that's definitely what you want to do with this team sort of, you know, build their philosophy. And speaking of building a philosophy, it just sort of goes back to this conversation that I had with President Rich Gotham and Rick Grossbeck a couple of weeks ago. You know, it's funny. I saw a segment on Comcast Sportsnet the other night uh, in Celtics Talk TV. And, you know, it was a very just, you know, black and white question of should the Celtics build the team like the Hawks or should they do it like the superstar model like the Cleveland Cavaliers? Like it, it has to be one or the other. You know, and, and in my conversation with those guys is they were sort of saying, like, listen, I mean, we're just going to give ourselves as much options as possible. And in that sense, it could be both. You know, they could build a team like Atlanta with flexible pieces like an Isaiah Thomas, a guy that you could technically always move because while you did mention he's you know making some money, it's, it's a movable contract. You know, remain competitive, establish certain players, establish Stevens in his, in his program. Is that still, you know, not what you're seeing from as well? Yeah, you know, and, and Atlanta's a great example. Um, you know, if you want to try to build a team like Atlanta, that's great. But you have to understand is that 
they were going by the superstar model as well. It just so happened that the pieces that they brought in all worked together so well that they wound up winning with those guys. I mean, they were after Dwight Howard. Uh, you know, there's no question about that. This has been a team that that's a team that, uh, you know, wanted to collect very good assets on, on, on manageable contracts and then maybe make a trade like Houston did uh, for James Harden, for instance. Uh, uh, that's, that's been the, the MO uh, for Atlanta uh, all along. And, you know, the fact that, that their team has wound up being so good that's that's sort of been you know an offshoot of the fact that they they collected enough good assets and they have a, a very good head coach, uh, but but they're going about for the superstar model all along. So you know I I, I think that uh, you're absolutely right in the notion that it's got to be one or the other is is just incorrect. I think uh, you know you obviously you want to get as much depth as many uh, pieces that can contribute, especially on manageable contracts that that that, that don't really tie you up long term. Uh, and then when you do that, you're in a position either A, to, to make the big deal that, that, that does put you over the edge, or B, maybe all the pieces just fit together the way that, uh, uh, that they do in Atlanta and, uh, and you wind up uh, being a surprise team that way. Yeah, I think that's definitely certainly the way to go, and I actually didn't put it in my piece, but Rich Gotham actually specifically mentioned Atlanta to me only because – you know, you can build a winning team like Atlanta, but as long as you have a salary structure that's flexible enough, you're always going to be in that position and trade for that superstar that does come available. But, I mean, it's it's funny that, you know, you see there's still some people out there that are impatient enough saying, well, geez, one of the Celtics going to get that superstar. You know, that guy just really isn't on the market at all right now, not just for the Celtics, but for every team. I mean, I know you tweeted out yesterday how Portland is still trying to keep LaMarcus Aldridge happy, and obviously the Grizzlies with LaMarcus Soul, he's a free agent. So we kind of know the names of guys that are out there now, but look in your crystal ball. What superstar, you know, could become available in the near future and, you know, maybe mention his name in a trade or in free agency, a, you know, a year or two from now. But I also want to give you a quick challenge, Sean. His last name cannot begin with D. <laughs> you know where I'm going with that. All right. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you're right in that the the players who uh, are are going to be on the market, um, you know, the teams that that have them and really want to keep them, the way that things are set up, they're probably going. To, you know, that's that's probably how that's going to work out. Uh, but you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, uh, you know some guys being able to switch teams and 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 certainly the Celtics having some interest. Uh, you know, maybe a guy like Paul Millsap uh, would be an example. Um, you know, obviously, if you can get, uh, you know, get some interest from from younger guys like a Greg Monroe, uh, you know, that would be ideal as well. Again, he's a restricted free agent, so Detroit's going to have something to say about that. Uh, but you know, that's that. You, I think you're looking at that that sort of second tier guy. These are not superstar players, but they're certainly guys uh, that can help you build a uh, tour to winner, especially if you can do it on manageable contracts. That's that's really a real key right. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I think I know Monroe's a target, you know, probably going to be something, you know, at least to look at a guy like Draymond Green. And, and you mentioned a very good point. It's because manageable contracts, so that way when, if there's ever, you know, if there's another Kevin Garnett type three or four years from now, you could always move that player in, you know, a trade for that. But, you know, just to sort of confirm with you, that, that, that guy really just isn't out there right now. You know, that Kevin Garnett 2015 or even Ray Allen 2016 or whatnot. You know, that's just not available for the sellers or even for any team. Am I correct? 
No, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Teams have gotten much better uh, at managing these situations. So, you know, Oklahoma City being in the position that they were a couple of years ago where they kind of had to trade James Harden, you don't see a lot of teams getting themselves into those situations anymore. Uh, I think teams are much smarter about the, uh, the luxury tax. Obviously, now we're going to have a big uh, uh, influx of, uh, of, of salary cap money at some point, uh, you know, no matter how they do it, whether it's uh, phased in or not phased in. Uh, there's going to be a you know a big influx of that TV money, and that's going to affect things as well. Uh, so yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's a number of ways you can um, you know go about uh, trying to attract a star player, but you're probably not going to see teams uh, putting those guys on the market, willing to move them very much. Yeah, so that's going to make the strat the Celtic strategy this summer, I think, particularly interesting because I do think they'll still be fairly aggressive this summer, especially if this team sort of finishes around that 35-36 win mark, which would you know mark a you know it's not a great season, but it's a big improvement from last year, which is I think you know a double-digit win increase. So they'd sort of go into this offseason with still some holes on the roster. I, you know, I, I'd like to see them fill that wing position. I mean, I, you'd love to see them you know have some elite alpha dog scorer at that spot, but particularly someone that could, you know, play a little defense and hit three. I know Jay Crowder's a guy, but, you know, you could use an upgrade there and then have Crowder come off the bench. Obviously, they could use some big help in the middle. You mentioned Greg Monroe's name. Could you see the Celtics be at all aggressive for a guy, you know, like Greg Monroe or, or Draymond Green this summer and then just sort of build slowly upon from there? Yeah, I think there's no question that, that if you've got cap space, that those, those are the kinds of guys that you'd like to bring in. Uh, you know, guys who are young and 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 still haven't hit their peak. You know, you'd rather have that than uh, you know they're not they're not going to be in the market for a Marcus Saul, for instance. Uh, you know, a guy who's thirty and 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 heading into the backside of his career. Uh, you know, they want they want those uh, uh, you know twenty five, twenty six year old guys who are who are still on the way up. So yeah, I think that that's that's exactly the kind of player that they'll be looking at. Um, you know, if, if if you can find wings in this market, there's not a whole lot this year. Uh, it's a very uh, big man heavy uh, market in terms of the top uh, uh, the top level guys. Uh, but I could see them do that. And I could also see them working on uh, you know possible trades. You know, there's a chance that uh, uh, a guy like Nick Batum in in Portland could be available. And you know, he's underachieved a little bit, but he's no question he's got a, a pretty nice skill set. So uh, you know, you could you could certainly look for. Uh, trades, especially teams that are that are trying to re-sign uh, uh, big-time players like Marcus Aldridge, and, and and maybe need to make changes in order to do that. So, you know, I I, I would expect them certainly to be looking uh, uh, at wing players. I don't think there's a lot on the free agent market though. Uh, so, you you know, I, I would say trades would be the best way to go for that. Uh, and obviously, uh, uh, you look at draft as well. Yeah, another name actually we didn't get in there was uh, Roy Hibbert, who could possibly be a trade opportunity as well, but. But well, I got to get to this before we wrap up our sort of Celtics talk with you here and talk a little more general NBA because yesterday, you know, the trade deadline back on Thursday was a very busy day. You know, I got to get to this, and obviously, I, you know, we've been, you know, kind of at least I have been stroking the Celtics a little bit and they're managing like we never have before on this show. But I, I figure you got to give credit where credit is due. And what I've been saying is, you know, dinner may not be on the table yet, but that kitchen, I think, smells awfully pretty good. You know, there's that pot roast. It's taken forever to get out of the oven. It's going to be awfully tasty when it does get out. You know, obviously, that Garnett-Pierce trade right now, it's definitely the gift that keeps it on giving. You know, about a year ago, I even called the Danny Ainge's Herschel Walker trade. I mean, it's still, it's, it's, it still hasn't even played out yet, which is almost like what the case was for Dallas, where it was just years and years and years. They were just getting everything uh, from Minnesota. 
But Ian Thompson had a pretty nice feature on NBA.com where he quoted some opposing general managers calling Ainge the best GM in the league. Well, and I know some of those you know, opposing general managers are former colleagues, but where do you think that Danny Ainge himself ranks amongst the top general managers in the association? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would certainly put him, uh, I think talk to not only other GMs, but Ainge as well. Uh, you know, he's got a very good reputation. He's going to be up front with you. Um, you know, he, he doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't get angry. He doesn't uh, uh, make knee-jerk decisions. He's always letting you know. Uh, where things are going before they go there. So, you know, there's surprises, really. You know, we, we see some things, perhaps, that uh, that would have liked to have done different, perhaps. But, you know, for the most part, I would say, yeah, that uh, that, that his reputation uh, is uh, certainly among age as well is pretty good. And, you know, sometimes uh, uh, that, that benefits for you and, Sometimes it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, there are very, very good coaches uh, uh, who get at bad teams, get fired, and get a chance to coach again. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's sort of a place. Obviously, we saw him uh, able to get things done uh, with, with now the big question, whether have uh, uh, enough luck. It's going to take lots of people to get a of fun of that, uh, but uh, giving himself opportunities, but it's still going to take some luck in traffic the players that have uh, lined up out. Uh, you know, I think he's made all the right decisions for the most part. He's done the right thing. He'll trigger uh, tough decisions. But, you know, it, you really have to wait to see. Uh, it's a lot going to be. That's a, uh, that is actually a job that, uh, that they can't, uh, can't underestimate. All right, Sean, shifting gears here. We're not going to have time to get through, you know, everything that happened, the trade deadline yesterday with all those trades, especially even that one trade. You know, obviously you had Milwaukee moving a big piece during their successful season. So it's interesting to see how that will play out. But you know, I joked about Philly when you first came on. And I know there's some people I respect who tell me, oh, no, no, Sam Hankey, they're doing it the only way they can. You even mentioned how it takes luck to rebuild a team. He seems to be doing it the complete Machiavellian way in that he's relying on luck almost 100% in building a team. You know, for as guy as bright as he is, I just, obviously I question that because if the Sixers ever do good, get you know good, it's going to require little to no skill. It's just going to be, you know, they've put everything into the ping pong balls. And, you know, I know you've been out in Chicago quite some time for your career. I mean, tell me, is this not the exact same plan that Jerry Krause employed in the immediate post-Jordan aftermath? Yeah, right. Exactly. That that you know you can you can bring in some uh, some good young players, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're going to, that they're going to pan out, and doesn't mean they're going to pan out for you. Obviously, Tyson Chandler uh, had a very good career. Uh, Eddie Curry had some promise, but then didn't. And and you know, but that's the exact uh, uh, sort of thing that that you can point to. That you can put all this stock into a top five pick. You could wind up with Derek Williams or Wesley Matthews uh, or Wesley. Johnson. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to get players that are going to be that productive for you. Uh, you look at Nerlens Noel, uh, you know, he, he's been okay, but he, I wouldn't say he's been great. I wouldn't say he's, uh, you know, a, a future all-star or anything like that. You don't know what you have in Embiid or Dario Saric. Uh, so you take the one guy uh, who's actually done something, you know, Michael Carter Williams has shown you something and, and, and he's gotten better at some things uh, and will probably continue to get better. 
uh, and you deal them for, for essentially a draft pick, another a potential, uh, uh, you know, top 10 pick. But, I, you know, I, at some point, it's not just a numbers game either. You know, at some point, you've got fans who want to come and watch the team play, and they don't want to watch rock balls. And, you, you know, if you're going to charge them for season tickets and charge them to get into the building, you better have somebody out there who can play. And, you know, the fact that they keep doing this, uh, I understand why they're doing it. I, I, I get it. But uh, I just think that, uh, uh, that, 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 that they keep pushing back the rebuilding so far uh, that it's going to be uh, it's going to be too much for most fans to continue to care about. Yeah, and it's also I think I'll, I'll at least mention it as, as the host of the show. Philadelphia is not an NBA market, and never really has been. I mean, even when they had those great teams in the early '80s, they struggled to fill that gym unless the Lakers or the Celtics were in the house. And it's funny, you also you know we were talking about the Bulls and the Mark, Michael Carter Williams trade. It's almost like when the Bulls traded Elton Brand, they were afraid that Elton Brand was going to get them to you know 30 wins and say, "Oh, Elton, you know you're too good. We got to trade you so that way we can keep getting 15 wins every season and getting top three picks." We all know how that turned out as well. All right, so last question I got to ask you about the Lakers because we got a Lakers guy coming on here and you know in a few minutes. Well, things very quiet deadline for them. In fact, nothing really happened. Uh, they have they have interest in Goran Dragic this offseason, but uh, I don't know where that's going to go now that he wound up in Miami because that's a place where he wanted to play. So they, it'll probably likely they'll lock him up. Uh, you know, maybe in a couple minutes, do you know you mind kind of summing up where they're they're heading here in the immediate immediate future? Yeah, they're they're banking on uh, on a couple of things. One, uh, you know, they really want to obviously hope that they can finish in the bottom five uh, to to hang on to that draft pick. Uh, that's that's going to be a real key for them. Uh, you know, in terms of rebuilding, in terms of getting a young player, they're hoping that Julius Randle comes back hundred uh, percent, and then they're hoping to get two guys in free agency. You know, obviously Dragic might not be uh, you know tops on that list now that he's in Miami, and Miami's going to be able to make a pretty good sell job. Uh, certainly, Rondo is going to be one of their potential guys. Uh, they'll pitch to uh, you know Marcus All and, and the Marcus Aldridge and, and all the names that you hear. Uh, but you know it, it's going to be a tough sell because there's not a whole lot there. So uh, you know they're going to have to sell the fact that they're the Lakers. That has not worked very well lately. You know Carmelo turned them down, Dwight Howard turned them down. Uh, so we'll see if they're able to sort of regain some of that mojo that we that we're used to seeing from the Lakers. Uh, but you know certainly. Uh, uh, much is going to be uh, uh, on them this summer in terms of uh, attracting free agents and, and, and keeping their fingers crossed that they can uh, uh, hang on to that draft pick. Yeah, you didn't mention any guys with the last name of D either in that, I noticed. <laughs> I did not, no. <laughs> Sean Devaney, Sporting News. You can follow Sean on Twitter, at Sean Devaney. Th- Sean, once again, thanks so much. All right, thanks for having me. Pleasure is all ours, Sean. We finished off with the Lakers there. Plenty of Laker talk after the break. Celtics-Lakers tonight in Los Angeles may not be the classic matchup that it's known to be. In fact, far from it, but still a very important game for the Celts. We'll get the state of the Celtics arch rivals from Corey Hansford out in L.A. after the break. Hi, this is Sean Backey from CLNS Radio and the Evening Score Sports Podcast. Kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 4,500 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. 
all of their courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, or even find a new job or improve upon the current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. Now, if you sign up today for the free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash CLNS, you'll get the benefits of unlimited access to every course on lynda.com. You'll also get access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone and Android mobile devices, as well as access to new courses added every week. Some of the courses that were recommended for me uh, include analyzing your website to improve SEO, viral marketing, and web analytics fundamentals. Do something good for yourself in 2015 and sign up for the free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash CLNS. Go ahead, I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio and executive producer of the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat. And now, author. That's right, author. My debut book, Fall of the Boston Celtics, How Bad Luck, Bad Decisions Brought the Mighty Celtics Empire to Its Knees and Ushered in the Dark Ages, has already been called the definitive account of the infamous doldrum period in Celtics history. You think the Celtics are struggling now? Well, you've got quite a short memory. Get the inside story from executives, general managers, staffs, players, media, fans, you name it, as I take you through a time in which how the Boston Celtics fell from the shining city on the hill and became entrenched in purgatory. And you'll see why. That's Fall of the Boston Celtics, available on clnsradio.com on January 5th. And you can't wait for the release? Well, tweet the hashtag Fall the Boston Celtics to me at CLNS underscore LHR. That's hashtag Fall the Boston Celtics at CLNS underscore LHR. And we'll pick one lucky follower and hand out a free copy on the January 4th episode of Celtics Beat. And now, on to your regularly scheduled programming. All right, let's bring in Corey Hansford, senior writer over at Lakers Nation and also host of the Bleed Purple and Gold podcasts. Corey, we just had Sean Devaney of Sporting News on. I had a great conversation with him. Last question, actually, we just talked about the Lakers and sort of their plan. And pretty much he told me that if you want to confirm everything with me, that, you know, L.A. seems to be sort of banking on finishing in the bottom five so they can hold on to that draft choice that they owed Phoenix, which is now in Philadelphia's hand. And also free agency, planning to be a big summer this, uh, this offseason. Tell me what you know. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, the trade, working through trades for the Lakers was always going to be difficult because we just simply don't have the trade assets that other teams have. We don't have future draft picks because in addition to the one in the old Phoenix, we owe, that's now in Philly, we owe one for Orlando Steel for the Dwight Howard trade. We Our expiring contracts aren't that desirable. Nobody wanted Jeremy Lin. And um, the young players that we do have, we kind of want to keep around. So it's Free agency was always going to be the better plan unless someone really wanted to kind of overpay or give up too much for one of the guys that we have on the roster, and that just didn't happen. Get a little of the we there, spoken like a really true big diehard Lakers fan. I know you are one. <laughs> give me the mindset of the fans out there. I know your website has a great pulse on what is pretty much the biggest fan base in North American sports, let alone the NBA. So I'll sort of give you the floor here. Give me sort of the morale and the psyche of Laker Nation right now. Um. It's there's definitely impatience. Um, it's it's a very very thin line. I think fans are trying to keep up the hope. Most 
most of the fans have completely jumped on the tank, and they're just ready to, you know, keep this pick at all costs. Um, but at the same time, they do want to see some progress, and it's very difficult to kind of appease both sides as far as, you know, holding on to that pick but not giving up too much when a good player is a possibility. You know, a lot of fans would like to see Gordon Dragic, but when they hear the possibility of trading away um, someone very there, someone young with potential or paying Dragic $80 million, uh, then people don't want that as much, or the fact that it could make us better and lose our top five pick. Um, people don't want to lose that pick. So the main goal of everyone, most of the fans, is to keep that top five pick at all costs. What about sort of going forward? I mean, I, you, the Laker fan base is immense, but there's obviously a very important aspect of the fan base, and that's obviously the people that have millions of dollars who pay thousands of dollars for those those tickets. And to keep them happy, they're not going to listen to sort of, you know, sort of a Celtics-like rebuilding phase of, you know, yeah, let's stay the course, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to get a bunch of draft choices. Obviously, you know, patience, it has to be there for all rebuilding process, you know, phases for many teams. Could sort of a lack of patience from that aspect of the fan base, you know, the nouveau rich, could that lack of patience maybe hurt the rebuilding process of the team where they could, you know, maybe even influence management themselves? Um, I don't think so because I think management themselves are on the same page and that they're trying to get this turned around as quickly as possible as well. Um, the Lakers and uh, Jim and Jeannie Bucks have been very adamant and very open about the fact that they want this team turned around as quickly as possible, that their father, the late great Jerry Bus, was all about competing and always, you know, competing and putting on a show for the fans. And Jim Bus has come out and said that he wants to turn this team around and if he does not turn the team around a certain amount of time, he's going to uh, step down as president of basketball operations, as you know, running the team. And so they don't have time to waste. And I think that's why um, they look at this summer as such an important, uh, such an important piece of this rebuild uh, with the draft pick and with the cap space that they do have. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was just talking to Sean Devaney, and we were talking about the summer not just for the Celtics and for the Lakers, but for every team and how. I mean, there really isn't that game changer out there. And, and Devaney himself mentioned, you know, Marcus Sowell is a big target for the Los Angeles Lakers. But I think even if the Lakers, you know, say did as well as they could do, like let's say if they spent all their cap space this summer, and I mean, I think literally the best they could do is something like Rajon Rondo and Marcus Sowell. I mean, is that really even a team that makes the playoffs in the Western Conference? That's that's the question, but uh, it's. The Western Conference is ridiculously tough, and it's always going to be about it. There's no off days. And, but you at least want to get, make yourself competitive. And not only are these signings, potential signings, um, about the next year, it's about building a foundation. And I think the important thing is that the Lakers, even if they don't go directly back into the playoffs next year, they at least have the foundation. Because like you said, there's no super game changers in this uh, free agency class, but there are some in the next free agency class. And players want to win. Players want to go to a place where they know that they can succeed and win championships. And the Lakers can't offer anything close to that right now. So this summer is as much about competing next year, but it's even more about setting that foundation so that when those big names do become available, they can say, these are the guys that we have in-house already that along with them, you can bring us back to the championship. Just sort of a, a, a big-name player. Does his last name begin with D? 
yeah, they might have heard of him. Some guy is MVP. Yeah, we're not going to mention. We, we, just like with Sean, I'm not going to mention his name. But I want to talk sort of about <laughs> Jim Bust there. I mean, we, we watch here. I'm out, you know, I'm from Boston, and, and we'll watch, you know, Laker coverage on, say, ESPN First Take. I'm sorry, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm sorry that's the case. And, you know, the way they paint it, I think, a little bit is obviously shocker for for ratings, and they'll sort of, you know, just, you know, chastise Jim Bust, I think, as much just to, you know, bring attention upon themselves. But do you think that attack on Jim Bust is fair? Because if you go back, say, four years ago now, whatever that Chris Paul trade was, you know, that, that trade goes through. I mean, Jim Bust is a genius. Uh, the trade doesn't go through, and now the Lakers are in the situation they're in. Do you think that attack on Jim Bust is fair, or is it just a little overblown? I think there are some, you know, there's some truth to the things that people are saying. And I think I take some uh, credence to what Magic Johnson was saying about him maybe not relying on people to help him, um, you know, thinking he can do everything himself and wanting to prove that he can run the team and and make the team succeed on his own. But I think there are definitely uh, some overblown things. I think there's always going to be a scapegoat, and Jim Bush is the easy scapegoat. Like you said, the Chris Paul trade in itself is a – was an amazing trade had they been able to pull that off had that not been vetoed. But then when you think about it, his backup plan was to trade for Steve Nash and then still bring in Dwight Howard as a backup plan after a trade went through. That in itself is an amazing move to say, okay, you won't let us get Chris Paul. Well, we'll just get Steve Nash with the times on the double-double and the all-star. So, you know, he is capable of making these moves. And at the time when the Lakers made those moves, now it looks bad, but at the time, the Lakers were the, unequivocally the NBA Finals favorite going into that season, and things didn't work out the way that they did. So, Buss and uh, GMH Kupchak have proven that you know they can make the moves necessary, even when no one expects them to be able to. They're able to do some things, and uh, now it's just a matter of waiting and seeing what they can pull out. Yeah, you know, I think that because the Lakers do have such a big fan base, and it's also sort of like that way with the Knicks, where uh, I hate to say it, I mean, they're not trolling you specifically, but they're definitely trolling members of the fan base and being able to play with their emotions by getting them all drummed up (laughs) as the team continues to struggle, just like, say, the Knicks are. Uh, You know, one thing that I thought was, you know, it was a big deal at the time, and I was actually fairly critical of it, but it really doesn't hasn't seemed to really hurt the Lakers, as bizarre as it is, because... As we've been discussing, you know, the Lakers are bad enough where they can't really attract free agents right now, just like as we saw with Carmelo Anthony. But obviously that Kobe Bryant extension, which was signed last year, it's gonna, it runs up, I believe, after the 2016 season, which is when a guy by the name of, who has the last name of D is a free agent. Does that contract really bother the, you know, the state of the franchise at all? Uh, as far as the franchise and those inside it, I don't think it does at all. I think uh, many people are still critical of it, and I understand the criticisms of it. Kobe playing, you know, at his level that he's playing now, is he worth that much money? No, but does it completely prevent? If it if that contract had taken the Lakers out of maximum level cap space, then I'd be a little bit more critical of it. But they do still have maximum cap space available to them. And, you know, for all that Kobe has done for them, I know you're not supposed to sign contracts, give out contracts for, you know, as a thank you, basically, for, for past accomplishments. But this is Kobe Bryant talking about, one of the greatest players in the, in the history of the league. And I think he gets, uh, you know, who are the Lakers going to spend the money on? Uh, a, a lot of people like to look at the Tim Duncan and how he took less money. But, you know, Tim Duncan took less money 
for, you know, future Hall of Famers that were already on his team so that they can get paid. And there was no one like that for Kobe to sacrifice and give money for. Um, and the Lakers were willing to do it. It's a different market out here. We've got this massive TV contract. The Lakers are still the most profitable franchise by a relatively large margin um, in, in the NBA. So it's it's not costing the Lakers money. It's not preventing them from signing a, another max player. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it's done next year when the big names, who he shall be named, not be named, is a free agent. So which is also the same year that the salary cap is expected to make a giant spike. So I think the Lakers are still in fine position, even with the Kobe extension. Yeah, it's almost like with that huge fan base that the Lakers do have, it's almost like a double-edged sword because they can't. I mean, a, a good portion of that fan base is, you know, there's obviously a great you know collection of Lakers fans, but there's also a good collection of just Kobe fans. And you don't really want to tick off that portion, you know, part of the fan base, even as Kobe is on the backside in the twilight of his career here. I need to have. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to take your fan hat off and try to answer this next question as, <laughs> as objectively as possible. So obviously, the Lakers are down, the Celtics are down, and I guess even the New York Knicks are down. Those are pretty much the three largest fan bases in the NBA. Tell yeah. me, you think you know these teams are down? Then you have these new franchises that haven't seen much success in their uh, histories, such as the Hawks, uh, the Golden State Warriors, uh, Toronto Raptors. I mean, the Cleveland Cavaliers. These are the contenders now. Memphis Grizzlies. You consider this good or bad for the NBA? Anytime you can have multiple teams who you can, you know, look at and consider them contenders, I think it's, I think it's good for the league. Um, obviously, there are some teams that are just going to pull ratings, but as teams get better, excuse me, and stars get made, you know, people are going to are going to want to see these guys. You know, all it took was one playoff series from Steph Curry and Golden State Warriors, and he's a star, and now people want to see them. And I think that can happen for a lot of different people. You know, it's it's about parity. You look at the West, and, yeah, you may not follow all these teams as closely as possible, um, but when you look at the possible playoff matchups and you go, whoa, Golden State and Oklahoma City in the first round, yeah, I've got to see that. Wait, Portland and Dallas? Houston and the Clippers? Yeah, sign me up for this stuff. Like, it's as the West is wide open right now, and that makes you want to watch. And the same can be said for the Eastern Conference. And there's no obvious favorite. You know, everyone likes the Hawks in the regular season, but what can they do in the playoffs? Same goes for Toronto. Cleveland is still that, you know, team lurking. And now people are considering putting Miami in that uh, discussion now with uh, getting Gordon Dragic. So I think the more teams you have, the more interesting it makes the playoffs. And I think that's uh, – in the end, I think that is what makes the league fun to watch. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I mentioned this last week on the show. I think, obviously, you know, not having the Lakers in the finals or whatnot with, you know, their massive following. You know, I know, you know well, David Stern's a lot of the commissioner. <laughs> but I know the league has always <laughs> sort of wanted that. And it, I think you're, you're right. There's no question it would, it would hurt short term not having Lakers Celtics or Knicks Lakers or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, it hurts short term, but you know, one, one observation that I've, that I've made is I, I believe that the NBA has, you know, while it's grown exponentially worldwide, it's definitely the interest I'd say, at least in, you know, the States, I think it's stagnated at, at best. And I think sort of getting interest in these markets where the NBA isn't as big or wasn't as big of where it was back, even when the Celtics and the Lakers and these other teams were good, you know, getting just sort of a new fan base and a new following there would be important. I think very important for the NBA. Absolutely. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. 
know, I want to talk about the huge game tonight, a game that has 0% chance of winding up on ESPN Classic. Obviously, the Celtics do visit the Lakers tonight. Uh, not going to mention any team's records right now. I believe the Lakers are a little worse than the Celtics. How, how strange is that? But uh, sort of give me your take on uh, what's going to happen in this very riveting NBA contest tonight. Uh, absolutely riveting. And uh, this might be the game of the year for the Lakers. Um, um, it's, it's an interesting game. I think I'm going to be most interested in watching the uh, point guard. But he got two rookie point guards going at it in Jordan Clarkson and Marcus Smart. And Smart is already one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. I mean, he is ridiculously difficult to score on, to get around. He's almost impossible to screen. And I've heard enough of uh, Bill Simmons singing his praises to know that he, he's a guy. And you paired him with Avery Bradley, and you've got two guys that are difficult to score on. And the Lakers struggle to score. You know, there's no number one option. The number one option for the Lakers might be Jordan Hill. So um, I think for the Lakers to have – to come out successful, it's going to come up to the big. It's going to be Jordan Hill, Carlos Boozer, um, because the Celtics are still a little, don't have the rim protection inside. Their defense is uh, better on the perimeter. And um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to watch um, because the Lakers are in discovery mode and see what guys we have who can play and who's worth keeping around for the future. With the Celtics, they're not far out of a playoff spot. And now, just add Isaiah Thomas, who's basically a Laker killer. Um, so you can basically chalk him up for about 25 points on that night. And uh, as much as I'd, I'd like to say the Lakers are going to you know, get some revenge for that first showing, I'd probably favor the Celtics going into the game. Corey Hansford, the Lakers Nation. You can follow on Corey on Twitter at the Corey H. Corey, thanks so much for catching up with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was a great chat there with Corey. I, let's, I strongly suggest our audience, so check out their website that Corey does work for. That's LakersNation.com, LakersNation.com. You know, the pro- Lakers, probably the one team the Celtics and their fans are always intrigued and always keeping an eye on no matter how poor they're playing, even as the Celtics are down, Lakers are down, whatnot. There's always intrigue with the Lakers. There's always intrigue with the Celtics. Tonight... May not be the case entirely. If you do want a classic Celtics-Lakers matchup, I do probably suggest maybe typing their na- their franchise names into YouTube as maybe that hype and that excitement isn't there for a matchup like this. Although I'd like to say that this is a pretty important game for the Celtics themselves, particularly as they make a playoff push here, which you know where I stand on that. I definitely want to see these young players playing relevant games when it counts in March and April here. So tonight, definitely a big one because tomorrow certainly will not be easy getting a Suns team on a back-to-back. Then obviously we do return home for some easier games, but that's way off in the distance right now. So hopefully for the team's sake that they are focused on the task at hand here tonight in Los Angeles. You know, part of becoming a good team. A halfway decent team and growing collectively is being able to take care of business, particularly on the road. And I would say tonight certainly qualifies as that. So be sure to stay tuned. CLNSradio.com. Also check out LakersNation.com. But speaking of taking care of business, I'd like to take this time once again to thank our sponsors for the show for making this all possible. Peak Organic Brewing Company and our good friends over at Lynda.com. Sign up with Lynda.com via CLNS and get a free 10-day trial to learn who's skill. That's Lynda.com slash CLNS. Lynda.com slash CLNS. Learn anything from math, science, business development, you name it. Just sign up and you can learn anything. Maybe even the NBA. Wait for it. 
You know what that is around the NBA in five. Special trade line edition. Here we go. Kevin Garnett returning to Minnesota. What do I think of that? Probably just, I guess, selling tickets, right? Because, I mean, I know you could definitely have, you know, you could certainly use Kevin Garnett around young players. I would have loved to have seen Kevin Garnett on the Celtics, yeah, if you ask me. But, I mean, that's a team that's way off. So I'm not sure how much of an impact Garnett is going to have an impact on some of those types of young players. And I'm not even sure. I, I hope that KG also doesn't go insane being on a 15-win Minnesota team. But that was, that was definitely an interesting move. I know it's definitely to appease some fans. But you hope that it's not going to end up like an Allen Iverson return of Philadelphia. That's for sure. And, you know, one thing that is interesting sort of in this Garnett situation is here is now he's going to be probably most likely retiring as a member of the Timberwolves. What will he be remembered as? Will he remember as Minnesota or in Boston? And I know the argument for Minnesota is, well, he spent 12 years there, and now he's going to retire as a Timberwolf. Name I got to give you, folks, Reggie Jackson, New York Yankees. What team did he go into the Hall of Fame wearing the cap? He spent four years in New York. He spent 10 years in Oakland. He played 20-some years in baseball, four years with the Yankees. He wore a Yankee hat because what he did for the greatest franchise in the history of that sport and in doing what he did on that stage, despite actually winning more championships in Oakland, he's known as a Yankee. It's sort of the case here with Garnett, especially when you consider Garnett really did not have any team success whatsoever outside of one year in 2004 with Minnesota. He's a Celtic. Let's make no mistake about it. You know, speaking of Reggie Jackson, no, not the five-time World Series championship with 563 career home runs, but the other one, the little dude there in the NBA, Detroit Pistons nagged him there in the final wee hours of the deadline. Good move. They really didn't give up that much. I know he's a free agent and he's going to command some money, but he definitely fills a void with Brandon Jennings out. Allows Detroit to really look at him, especially here in a bigger role, which is what he's always wanted. I like it. He, he should come in. He should be motivated. And he should help a pretty decent you know, Pistons team here in the playoff push. It's going to be quite an interesting battle, is it not? Uh, Pistons, Celtics, Miami Heat, Charlotte Hornets, right there in the bottom of the conference fighting, quote-unquote, for that eighth seed. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Also part of that deal, Enos Cantor going to Oklahoma City. Discussed this last week about him. He hasn't done a whole lot in the league. Yes, he has some decent efficiency numbers, but once again, hasn't really contributed to any decent teams whatsoever. So I'm interested to see what he can do and how he can help Oklahoma City. Certainly he's got to give a lot more than Kendrick Perkins has over the last few years, that's for sure. But he's definitely been a slight disappointment since he came in the league. With such, you know, He was a high commodity at one point, high draft choice, and... The Jazz didn't even consider extending him at the beginning of the season, and once again, they really didn't factor him in their plans at all. Didn't fetch a whole lot of interest on the market as well, so definitely intrigued to see how this is going to play out. And just sort of like considering how you know Reggie Jackson was on his way out, I guess Oklahoma City, you know, they did as well as they could in that trade. But that deadline, the Suns, they were really the team that got the ball rolling. They set the fireworks off, especially with the Goran Dragic situation. And just like with Reggie Jackson, I thought they did as well as they could do with Dragic there because they're still in the mix out west, and I think they're definitely going to fall out now for sure. Knight is a solid, solid player. I like him a lot, but you know that's a tenuous situation there with Oklahoma City just breathing down their, net, their necks. So, once again, it was... They did as well as they could have done. Brandon Knight's a real solid player. He's definitely going to help in the future. He's only 23 years old. Picked up a couple first-round draft choices in that move, two firsts, as well as getting another first-round draft pick from Boston via Cleveland. So they were in a tough spot, so they did as well as they could. Lastly, uh, the Bucks trading Brandon Knight. Uh, we mentioned him, sending him to the Suns in that crazy, crazy deal that we have no time to get break all the way down. The Celtics were involved in as well. You know, There's so many trades, and it's even hard to see which one was which. 
But just analyzing the returns for teams here anyways, the Bucks, they got back Michael Carter-Williams from the Philadelphia 76ers. Interesting move because Knight's another guy who's sort of on the verge of free agency and maybe they didn't want to get caught up in that whirlwind and they could sort of lock themselves into Carter-Williams at a cheap deal for a few years here. You know, you know, nothing for nothing. It is Milwaukee and not uh, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, or Boston where they're going to, well, you know, they're going to pay it out. You know, the Bucks are trying to secure a new, a new building. But it's still interesting because it's a pretty big gamble. The Bucks are having a great year, and Knight is as important a piece as anyone on that team. He's not just a great player, but he's a great leader. I'm very impressed at him at his young age. Coming over from Detroit, they did really well in that trade with the sending out Jennings. But uh, I, I, it's very interesting to take it away. I'm, once again, definitely a very interesting dog days of the season in the NBA here in March, watching some of these teams uh, and seeing how they settle in with their trades. So... Fortunately for their sake, they are comfortably in the Eastern Conference playoffs. No matter, even if the trade doesn't work out for them right away, they're still there in no danger of falling out. So that'll do it for around the NBA in five. But we have got to send our best wishes to Chris Bosch and his situation, wishing a speedy recovery and more importantly, a healthy recovery, obviously. And Lastly, of all things, we must offer our condolences to longtime NBA veteran and most noted for his many, many years with that great Portland Trailblazers team. Jerome Kersey passed away at the age of 52, sending all of our well wishes to his family and those who loved him. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Ostravex, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Sean Devaney of Sporting News, Corey Hansford of Lakers Nation. Great job as always, guys. Also love to thank our sponsor, lynda.com, for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday with special guests Kyle Draper and Chris Mannix of Celtics Pregame live at Comcast Sportsnet New England for another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.